In a moment, uh, Sally's going to come and read to us chapter 16, but I thought it might be helpful for those who are visiting or have missed some. I'm going to try and do a two-minute summary of chapters 1 to 15, just to help us remind ourselves of where we've been. It'll be a real whistle-stop tour. If you've got a Bible, you can um, have one in front of you and flick through, and uh, you might just spot certain things we've looked at. But I hope it will help set up chapter 16. Um, So let me just try and give us a brief summary, and then um, Sally will come up and read, okay? When Paul starts this letter, he describes himself as an apostle. Uh, That means sent one. So this man, Paul declares that he's been sent from God with a message to the world. The message begins with the bad news. There's a kind of cosmic law court scene. Uh, God is the judge. The whole world are in the dock. Uh, The Apostle Paul is like the prosecuting attorney. The only difference, he's both the prosecuting attorney and he's in the dock with all of us as well. And God gives us all the bad news that we all have become separated from him because we wanted to live our life our own way and we face his right judgment for that. You then get to chapter 3, and a really key verse, chapter 3, verse 21, and Paul says, but now there is a way to be right with God, and it's not through keeping rules and being good. So the good news comes. Then in chapter 4, we get an example of what this good news is, living by faith, trusting not in what I do, but in what Christ has done. And the example is given of the life of Abraham. Then chapter 5 begins, and you get this amazing verse in verse 1. If you come to put your trust in all that he's done, you have peace with God. And he describes in verse 8 how that's possible. It was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. Then chapter 6, you kind of get a declaration, a charge to people who have trusted Jesus, saying, if you've come to know him and belong to him, you need to put away your old way of living living with you at the centre, and you need to put on the new way of living with Jesus at the centre. Then chapter 7, you get this grappling where the the believer says, I know the good I want to do, but I can't do it. And the stuff I don't want to do, I keep doing. And he's he's frustrated with life. But then amazingly in chapter 8, the first verse and the last verse are great declarations to encourage us. The first verse says, There is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So in that battle, as we're struggling, no longer will you face God's judgment because Jesus paid for you. The last verse says, and I'm sure that nothing can separate us from the love of God. So in that grappling, you've got the first verse and the last verse that give us comfort. And then the whole of that chapter is all about the work of God's spirit helping us to transform. Then in chapters 9 to 11, Paul declares amazingly that what God has done through Christ is for all people. You then get to chapter 12 and he says, let me paint a picture of what true worship is. It's giving your whole life back to God in worship, using all your gifts and talents to serve him. And at the center of all those chapters, 13, 14 and 15, where we left last week, it's all about relationships. Relationships with each other, relationships with the world outside of the church. And that then brings us to chapter 16, that's the climax of the book, where the book ends. And that's what we're going to look at together. I hope that's reminded you of some of the things we've looked at in the last few weeks, but Sally's going to come now and read to us the whole of chapter 16, and then we'll look at it together. Thanks, Sally. I'm reading from Romans 16. This is page uh, 1729 in your Bibles. And apologies, first of all, to those scholars among you, because I've had to do a guessing game with all these names. There's loads of them, so I'm doing my best here. Right. I commend you, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, 
a deacon of the church in saint Crier. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risk their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epenetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. And greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among you, among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Empilatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, Urbanus, who are co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity, fidelity to Christ has stood the test. And greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, whose women who work hard, whose, those, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you, as does Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother, Cortus, sends you their greetings. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever, through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well done. Uh, I haven't got a clue how to pronounce them either, so I'm just going to go for it when I uh, refer to some of them. You did fantastic. Uh, some, some great names there. If you're planning on having a child and uh, you want a left-field name, there's a few there you can choose from. 
Um, so do keep that open. Um, let me pray and then we'll come to that passage together. Heavenly Father, this chapter is all about what it means to belong to you. And so I pray that you would help us to understand that and that you would challenge each of us to choose to belong to you today. Amen. Uh, not long ago when I was in Swaziland in October, we went to, um, on a game drive and we saw um, this lioness and her cub. And no doubt, like all safari stories, every time I tell the story, the lion will get bigger and we will have been closer to it. Um, but we were quite close to this lion and it was absolutely amazing. Uh, not seeing a lion in, in a zoo, but seeing him in the wild is something very, very special. Uh, the first thing, if you've never seen a lion in the wild, is that it's utterly captivating. It's the one beast everyone wants to see. I know there's the leopard as well, but no one ever sees a leopard. So the lion's the one thing everyone wants to see. Uh, and when you see a lion, it just takes your breath away because they're such fierce animals, but they're hugely elegant the way they walk and they're very uh, peaceful until they attack something. Captivating. The second thing is, and you'll be glad to know this, the only place in Swaziland you'll see these lions is in Halani National Park, which is just as well because it wouldn't be so good if you were walking around the countryside and they were just roaming free. The Apostle Paul says that Jesus Christ is the centre of this letter that he has been describing and, and sent to the, the church in Rome. And he describes really Jesus Christ, when you come to really understand who he is, as being utterly captivating. And he says that what he offers us is something that you won't find anywhere else. Just like you only see these lions in one place in Swaziland. I want you to think for a moment about the human heart. Uh, every human heart has longings, doesn't it? Uh, we long to be loved and we long to love. There's something built deep within all of us as human beings. Uh, we long for a relationship, which is why when relationships are broken apart, it hurts so deeply. Uh, we long for joy and happiness. We long for our life to have meaning and purpose. I guess ultimately we want our lives to count. I don't suppose there's anyone here who says, I don't care if my life counts for nothing. We all want our lives to count. We want to have clarity on our identity and purpose in the world that God has given us. I believe that the Christian gospel, which Paul has explained all the way through Romans, which we've looked at in the last few weeks, answers that deepest longing, even if you don't think it does. And that's what Paul has argued all the way through this letter, that Jesus Christ actually answers the deepest longings in your heart, even if you don't realize that that is true. And so we're just going to look at three things in this chapter together. And here's the first one. The gospel results in people who belong to God. I don't know what you made of that list of names. You might think it's a bit of a funny place to end a letter. Why don't we just end on that lovely, rousing, kind of uplifting chapter 15, all about unity in the church. And then we've got this list of seemingly random names. Uh, but this isn't just a list of names of random people in the first century. It's far more than a list. I don't know if you remember, Wellesley put a challenge out last week. He said, if you can have read from chapters 1 through to the end of the book of Romans, and it has not captured your heart then the book of Romans has failed. It's not meant to just be information that goes in here, but doesn't change our hearts. That's the point he tried to make and made really clearly to us. That the whole point of this gospel that Paul has been declaring is that we see lives changed. That's our vision as a church, just up on the screen there in yellow, to see lives changed by Christ. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul wrote this letter for that one purpose. People spend days and days, much of their life, asking this really big question. 
What is the meaning of life? Uh, if you Google that question, you'll find 356 million answers. Uh, to, probably that means 356 million different people at different times have tried to write something and post it on the internet to help us in this search for meaning in our world. Now, most of the things that are posted up there, I don't believe are true. Because I believe that what the Bible teaches is that the meaning of life is that you and I belong to God and enjoy it. Have a think about that. Belong to God and enjoy it. And yet we've seen, didn't we, and I I was helping us with that in the early couple of chapters of Romans, that we've all been cut off from God because of our independence, our pride. There's a loving God who wants us to be in relationship with him. He wants us to belong to him, but we've cut him out of our life. And that creates a big problem. And so in chapter 15 last week, the big challenge, one of the verses, um, sorry, in chapter 16, is this idea of returning to God. This U-turn, that's what the word repentance means. It means turning back to God. And do you notice in chapter 16, verse 5, Paul speaks about a believer who became the first convert in Asia. What he's making clear is that you're not born a Christian. You're not born as someone who belongs to God. It's not something that happens by default because of the church you go to or the upbringing you had. It's a choice that every individual has to make. This U-turn where I say no to my old way of life and say, yes, I want to belong to God. That is why the verse that we, is our, been our memory verse this year, chapter 1, verse 16, is so key. It's one of my favorite verses. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul declares, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. So Paul is declaring right at the beginning of this good news story, there is no one who's too far from God, no one who God is not interested in. He wants every single person he created to belong to him. That is the meaning of your life. That is the purpose for which you were created. That means that when people who do belong to God come together, that is what church is. Church is not this building, as lovely as it is. Church is a collection of people who belong to God. And here in Long Crendon is a reflection of a far bigger church across the whole world. People who belong to God. Well, chapter 14, a couple of weeks ago, we were thinking about unity and diversity, weren't we? How do we love one another in here when we don't always agree? Chapter 15 last week, again, a call to unity, a call to functioning relationships that help us to love each other and give glory to God. And then you get to chapter 16, and what Paul is doing is he's really painting a picture of what the church should be. And as he does that, he's thanking this particular church in Rome, and he's thanking God for it. I don't know if you knew this, but we're going to work through just a few little details in this list of names, because I guess for most of us, they're just names and don't mean much, but actually... There's huge significance packed into these names. So just follow through with me. I don't know if you noticed in that list of names that Paul is giving thanks for in the church, there are loads of names of women. Paul is writing in a very paternalistic culture where men are first, women come second. And he's trying to counter that by saying there are a lot of really important women in the church. Women are a blessing to our church. Women are a blessing to our community. And I want to name some of them. They're leaders. They're important I'm completely convinced that scripture is really clear that there should be male headship in a church, male leadership in terms of eldership. I believe that's clear. But that doesn't mean there shouldn't be female leaders in a church. And many women in this church have amazing leadership gifts. And we need to be helping you to use those gifts to flourish. 
to uphold male headship in eldership, unfortunately in a lot of churches, the kind of baby's been thrown out with the bathwater, and it's meant that women have no place in any roles of leadership within the church. It's not true. It's not what the Bible teaches. And here in Paul, in, in chapter 16, he, he upholds many women in the church and says, thank you for what you do. You're a real blessing to us as a church. And we need to do exactly the same. Notice too, in this list of names of people he commends, they're not all church workers. They're not all kind of paid pastors and teachers. Look at verse 23. There's this chap, Erastus. He's probably a city treasurer. He's just got a normal secular job. But he serves, and Paul commends him for it. Notice in this list, there are many people who come from very pagan backgrounds. No kind of Christian upbringing. No kind of Sunday school background. Very pagan. Uh, in verse 1, describing Phoebe, she's come from a place called Chentre. That's near Corinth, and Corinth was a very, very pagan city. So here's someone who has no background of Christian things, but this person's come to belong to God. And this person is part of this church. Verse 7, it's likely describing a married couple. And verse 6 is describing Mary, probably not married. So you see, church is not about whether you're single, whether you're married. We all belong to God. And equally important. Uh, Verse 5, I've looked at it already, refers to a Gentile. That's a person who's not a Jew, the first convent in Asia. Uh, Verse 7 and 11 speaks of Jews. So the church is for all people. The church is for the very wealthy and for people who have far less money. Notice verse 2, he commends Phoebe. She's a benefactor to the church. God says it's a spiritual gift if he's blessed you with a ton of money to give a ton of it away. What a gift you are to a church if you're very wealthy and you give loads of it away. That's a wonderful thing. And he upholds that person and commends them. Likewise, verse 11, probably referring to someone who came from the household of Herod, would have been very wealthy. But then you've got Rufus, verse 13. It's a common name for a slave. Probably didn't have so much money. You're not more important in church if you've got a ton of money, less important if you've got not very much money. Just how God has blessed you. But Paul is drawing the, the, the contrast between these two groups. Now, verse 10 and 14. These are names that are very common for slaves. But then verse 10 is the name of someone who was probably the grandson of King Herod and friends with Emperor Claudius. Someone who mixed in high social standing, people who don't. And again, Paul says, it doesn't matter. We're all different. But we're part of this church. Anyone seen the borrowers? I think it's the second one. Uh, the innies and the outies. I think the innies live under the floorboards in the house, and the outies are the kind of country ones. Have you ever seen that? Well, here you've got innies and outies. Uh, Verse 9, you've got city people. Urbanus is a name derived from the word for city. This was probably a slave working in the city. And you've got this unpronounceable name, uh, Statis. That name means ear of corn. Perhaps a wealthy landowner or farmer. You've got innies and outies. We're all different. Verse 13, Rufus, I've already referred to him. That name means ginger. Doesn't matter what color hair you've got. You're all part of God's church. And then this last one, verse 15, Philogius. That name means chatterbox. Perhaps there's the chatterbox in the church who sometimes can be a bit irritating to some of us. Paul says that slightly larger than life character, if you're very introverted and you find that very larger than life character who's a bit irritating, we're just all different. And Paul is saying we're all part of his family. We all belong. The point is, forget all that detail. I'm just helping us to see that this isn't just a list of names. Paul's very deliberately describing all sorts of different people, different languages, backgrounds, cultures, temperaments. And he says you all belong. 
It's a lovely picture of what he's declared elsewhere in a book called Galatians. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for all you are all one in Christ Jesus. You look around this room, we're all so different, but there is one thing that can unite us. Different people, and secondly, different ministries, roles to play. Just notice a couple of things here. Verse 2, I've referred to it. There's a benefactor, someone who's wealthy, who uses their wealth to be a blessing for gospel work, funding ministry. You've got verse 7, people who have suffered with Paul. He's commending and thanking God for people who've labored with him, and it's been tough. One of the lovely things about church is that we sing together, we cry together. And that's a lovely thing that we can do together. Verse 8, he describes a dear friend, his kind of busy, whoever it is in the church, and you'll have your best mate or best friend in this church. But then verse 9, just a co-worker. Not everyone in the church will be your best friend, but we're all friends. Verse 13, you've got this mother figure, the person who is nurtured, cared for, loved, served. Verse 23, you've got the person who has been hospitable, who's opened up their home, opened up their lives, shared with those in need. But the point is, they all belong. Ten times in this chapter, you get the phrase, in Christ or in the Lord. What Paul is saying is that you and I all belong to him, if you've put your trust in him. And so, you think of a a wheel, um, of a bike or something, there's a hub right at the centre of the wheel, isn't there? And the spokes come out of the wheel propping up the tyre that spins. But the only thing that actually keeps the whole wheel strong together is the hub. And the hub that joins all of us together, just like the hub that joined the whole church together in Rome, is Christ Jesus. And that is what he describes here. So the first thing you see in this chapter is that the gospel results in people who belong to God. And that's a glorious truth. You belong to him. And you are special to him. Whoever you are, whatever your gifts and talents, temperaments, backgrounds, differences, all of you are special to him. Second thing though, those who belong to God serve him. When you think of serving, you probably have in your mind an image a bit like that, something from the slave trade in the 17th, 18th century. This idea of kind of heaviness, uh, being overworked, underpaid, Uh, being abused maybe an image of God as a bit of a slave driver oh yeah that's exactly what I thought Christians were there's this God and he whips a whip and his people just do what he says and there's all the stuff they can't do and loads of stuff they have to do God's just a slave driver why would I want to serve him Uh, when I played rugby that's not me but when I played rugby that's often how I felt after matches during training because our coaches were like slave drivers they flogged us until we couldn't run anymore and every muscle in our body was aching when you belong to God and you decide to serve him. It is hard work. Have a look at our passage. Uh, Verse 6, verse 12, and verse 13 all refer to hard work. Uh, Gospel work is hard. Uh, That word hard work is a verb that's been translated. It, It means a kind of great exertion. It's meant to be hard work. Putting our trust in Jesus and following him can be tough. And not just hard work, but it can also lead to suffering. Do you see in verses 3, 7, and 10? He refers to people in his church who have suffered. Many here have suffered for being Christians. Most probably not suffered to the extent that many of our brothers and sisters in places like Syria are currently suffering. We have no idea the kind of suffering they're going through. The kind of suffering that some people who have renounced their trust in Allah and put their trust in the living God, what that has cost them. 
But to serve Jesus Christ in part involves hard work and suffering. And Paul's just being really open about that. But here's the thing. You don't do it alone. That's why this is so special. You are together. All the way through chapter 15, there was this phrase, um, fellow worker, and chapter 16, fellow worker. Look around the room. We're all fellow workers. We're in this together. When I played rugby, I didn't mind lying on the floor, having been flogged, as it were, by my coach, because that is the reason you play. Team. When you have your arms around each other, you know that when your lungs are burning, your legs are aching, so is everybody else's, but you do it together. And in a church, when you're hardworking and when you're suffering, you're not doing it alone, you're doing it together. And on one day you'll be strong, you'll be weak, and you'll support these people. One day you'll be strong, you'll be weak, and it works the other way. But together, we serve God. One of the things I love about being a Christian is that God doesn't call me and doesn't call you and say, I'm a distant God and I'm giving you instructions of how you're to live your life, but I'm going to disappear now and I'm just saying to you, good luck, you're on your own. Have a look at verse 25 and 26. It says there, God is able to establish you. God is able to establish you. It's this sort of picture of rooting you in something that's firm. And what is firm is him. He's rooting you in himself. He says here, verse 25, God who is able. And that is a word that, there's a derivative from that word, dynamite. That word, able. Think about the power of dynamite. It's explosive, isn't it? And that same power is the power that is used to bring together people who are completely different and unite us in Jesus. There's huge power in that. And what does that power lead to, verse 26? It leads to obedience that comes through faith. That literally means believe and obey. Believe and obey. It's a declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you um, go to battle, here's a picture of, um, in the Second World War, some American troops. They've obviously just overthrown um, a gunner somewhere or something. They've taken some new territory. And what do you do in battle? You plant your flag to say to all the other troops around you, a kind of rousing rally cry, this is who we're working for. This is our commanding officer. For these, it's the American flag. We're serving the American nation, freedom. And we plant our flag in the ground to say, this is our territory now. And it's kind of like that with following Jesus, that when we come together, he plants us together. And so together we say to each other, he is our commanding officer. And with his help, we will take ground for his kingdom. So around him we unite. And it's once we're united in him that we're then free to serve him. Do you remember that lovely chapter in chapter 12? The picture of one body, many parts. It's really a picture of chapter 16 with all these names that Paul is drawing on. Let me just read to you verses 4 to 6 of chapter 12. Just as each of us has one body with many members, these members don't all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts. And it's using these different gifts, but being one, that we serve. That is why this recent series and the ministry gift day last week was so important, saying, what is the gift that you've given me, God? I belong to this church. How now do you want me to serve and use my gifts for the benefit of everyone here and the benefit of those in our community? Paul opens his letter and describes himself as a servant of Christ Jesus. Then at the end of the letter, chapter 16, he describes Phoebe as what? A deacon, a servant of Christ Jesus. We're all the same. We're all servants. 
I just want to take a moment to thank you. There are so many servants in this room as I look around. People who serve very publicly. Thank you for all that you do. Lots of people who serve very privately and none of us even know that you're ever serving. In the kitchen, cleaning. People who clean the toilets. No one sees you, but thank you. People who serve our young people. People who work late into the evening, meeting up with people who are struggling. Thank you. Those of you who lead our home groups who take meals around to those who are struggling, who are serving in our community, thank you. That's what Paul is doing in chapter 16. He's basically writing a letter to the church that he loves, he wants to be at, and saying, thank you for all that you do. That's all I'm trying to do now, thank you. That's what he's saying. But you compare that picture of serving, there's a little warning that comes in verses 17 and 18, of people who are in the church who aren't serving. It's very easy, actually, to pretend that we're serving... But ultimately, it's all about us. It's all about what I want and want myself to be pleased, my life to be easy. So I just want to ask you as a little warning, perhaps to correct your heart, if you know that might be you. Are you serving? Um, There's no single picture in the New Testament of someone who comes to know Jesus Christ and doesn't serve. There's no picture of someone who kind of cruises and consumes, who just rocks up on a Sunday, hears a talk, thank you very much, and leaves before everyone else even gets out the door, and has no interaction with anyone else, and doesn't use their gifts to serve all through the week. There's no picture of that. Why? Because it's a great joy to use our gifts to serve. And this little warning should just help us think, am I using my gifts to the best of my ability? And we're going to talk in January a bit more about uh, the commitment of membership. What it does membership actually mean biblically in terms of a commitment before God, a commitment to each other. And it's going to be really helpful, I think, to help us to think that through. The gospel results in people who belong to God. Those who belong to God serve him. But here's the thing I want to end on. I don't think there's anything better than serving together in the gospel. And that is certainly the emphasis that Paul gives in this chapter. Here's a question for you. What is your life all about? What do you want your life to be all about? This astonishing thing about this letter to the Romans is that here is a man who was far from God, who didn't know God, but came to know God, was rescued. His whole life was completely turned on its head because he came to belong. And then he used everything else in this letter to say what joy there was in using this belonging to serve God and other people. Here's a man who has come to understand truth, but that truth has come so alive to him that this is what energizes him. He wants to give his life back to God in service. It's exactly what Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2 is all about. Here is a man who has come to find that the gospel is the meaning for his life, but didn't realize it before and was looking for that sense of meaning and identity somewhere else. Probably in a good thing, but not in God. Well, why is it that, why is that, why do I believe there's nothing better than serving together in the gospel? Well, first thing is we're serving together. Do you notice in verse 27, Paul declares about God that he is a wise God. It's like a strange thing to perhaps declare of a God when you look around a room and it, the church is messy. I made that point when we looked at chapter 14. It's messy, messy relationships. Why though in the messiness of church does he describe God as wise? It's in part a description of the gospel, power in weakness, but it's part a description of what God is trying to do when he brings us all together. What happens in the messiness of relationships here where we're all so different but we learn to love? We learn that loving costs. It's not easy. But when God loved us, it wasn't easy. And as we rub together a bit, 
It knocks edges off us. It, it knocks edges off our pride. It knocks edges off being a bit too direct sometimes when we need to be more gentle. Or perhaps a bit more direct when we're too gentle and worry too much about what people think of us. But as we come together, we're rubbing and God's spirit is at work and he's changing each of us a bit, bit by bit. That is God's wisdom. There's a good reason why a lot of people who profess faith in Jesus hardly ever go to church. Because it's dead easy not going to church because you just surround yourself in your life with people who are like you. But when you come together in a room like this and we're all so different, it's hard sometimes to love. But God is very wise in bringing us together. Because as we learn to love in this way, we're loving as he has loved us. But I don't believe that you'll find a richness of relationship like this anywhere else. That's why Paul gives us this uh, command, verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now don't worry. There's only one person in this room who's allowed to kiss me. That's my wife, maybe my mum as well, two people. Uh, that really is a cultural expression that would be the equivalent today of a handshake, a high five or a bear hug. Whatever you think is appropriate. So how about after the service, you go up to someone you don't know. You have to work this one out, what's appropriate. <laughs> handshake, a high five or a bear hug. But what it's doing is it's breaking down barriers. It's saying we all belong. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Give us each other a bear hug. We're all the same. We're all one family. That's the picture he's painting. And you know, perhaps as you look around this room, there's a stranger here, someone you've never actually gone to speak to because you always just surround yourself with your friends after a service. Maybe today, if you go and speak to that person, you may find that that person can become one of your best friends. Uh, some of my best friends, genuine best friends, are 30, 40 years older than me. You don't get that in many environments in our world these days, but it's true. Maybe that person could be your best friend, but equally, maybe you could be a real blessing to that person, the other side of the room that you've never said hello to. So that's my challenge to you after the service. Go straight to someone you've never said hello to. Bear hug, high five, handshake. Get to know them because they belong just like you belong. But secondly, why else? That's worrying a few of you, isn't it? <laughs> secondly, why else do I believe there's nothing better than serving together in the gospel? It's for, because we're serving together in the gospel. There's nothing more exciting there's nothing more eternal, there's nothing more life-changing than the gospel. It's what we've seen all the way through Romans. That's why serving together in the gospel, there's nothing better. Well, as he asked you that question last week, how ambitious are you at getting the gospel out? If you come to experience what the Apostle Paul experienced, a heart so captivated with the love of God that he couldn't help but declare it and share it with other people, I just challenge you, how ambitious are you at getting the gospel out? Because we exist here as a church for the benefit of people who aren't here, to show God's love in our community. I've given you this challenge last week, I'll give it again. When it gets to handing out Christmas invites for the carol services, please don't say no for people. And I beg you as well, please don't just stuff them through letterboxes. Go and knock on doors, say hello to people. Tell them you're from this church, offer them a happy Christmas. It might be a bit scary, but it's a way of building relationships with people. And that way we invite people in and we say, this really matters to us. It's not threatening. It's far more personal than just stuffing something through a letterbox. But I want to challenge you, will you invest your life and your, and your gifts wisely? Because as you do, I believe you'll experience this joy. There's no greater joy than serving together in the gospel. Well, that's something for the majority here. I want to particularly, though, just as I close, just speak to those of you who are here who know deep in your hearts that you don't yet belong to God.
I'm just telling you this from my heart with great sincerity. I just want to ask you, is there a good reason why you don't want to belong to God? Is there a good reason why you don't want to experience his love that will forgive you, that will help you to use your gifts and talents for the rest of your life serving him? Nothing greater. Just as Romans 16 isn't just a list of the congregation, it's a list of believers, so too in a church, just because you come to church doesn't mean that you belong to God. Each of us has to turn back to him. I just want to challenge you and ask you, why wouldn't you want to experience this kind of love? Why don't you belong to God? Secondly, I want to ask you, what or who do you serve with your life? With all the gifts that God has given you, what is the purpose of using them now? And finally, what's holding you back from joining in? What is holding you back from joining in and belonging to this community, experiencing the love of God, seeking his forgiveness? Because you'll find nothing more exciting, nothing more eternal, and nothing more life-changing than a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's been, a, I hope, a helpful series. It's a massively amazing letter, Romans. It just excites me every time we look at it. I'd love you to take a moment just to reflect on something that you've learned through this book. Um, but I particularly want to pray um, for anyone in this room who knows in your heart you don't yet belong, but you want to. And maybe God's spirit is saying, come on, why don't you want to love me? Why don't you want to serve me? Why don't you want to experience the sense of belonging that so many of us in here are experiencing? So I'm going to pray a prayer. If that is you, it might seem a bit scary, it might seem a bit random, but why wait another day not giving it over to the God who loves you? Why not give him your life and serve him with all that you are today? And if you want to do that, you can just pray the prayer that I'm going to pray in your heart. Just echo it and God will hear it. And I'd love to talk to you afterwards so we can support you as a church because I promise you there is nothing better in the whole world than belonging to God. Let's have a moment of quiet. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the joy it is to be part of your church, for the joy that so many of us know of what it means to belong to you. Thank you that the gospel does have power to change lives and we thank you that so many here have a testimony, their own story of how you have transformed their life. I thank you that you call us and give us freedom as we belong to you to then serve you and that is the place where we're freest, it's the place where we find our identity and our meaning, our purpose and I thank you for the gifts of so many in this church who serve you week by week and I thank you too that there is no greater joy than serving together in the gospel. And I pray that your spirit would be a work in each of us and help us in this coming week to work together to declare your love to a broken and lost community, so many people who don't know you. And Father, I particularly want to pray now for anyone who's here. It's so wonderful to have visitors here. We love having people coming uh, and listening and being a part of all that we do here. But I pray particularly for some, perhaps, who you are speaking to right now and it might be a bit nervous, but they want to belong to you. They want to experience your love. They want to be forgiven. They want to become a follower of Jesus. If that is you, perhaps just echo this prayer in your heart now. Heavenly Father, I've come to realize that you created me to belong to you. You've given me every gift and talent that I enjoy using, and I want to now use it for your glory. 
Please would you forgive me for my independence and wanting to live life my own way. I thank you for all that Jesus Christ has done in my place. It was while I was still far off from God that Christ died for me. And I pray now that you would forgive me of my sin. That you would fill me with your spirit. And that you would help me to use the rest of my life to serve you. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.